The good news of Jesus is that not only is he able to bring order to the physical world, not only is he able to uh, bring about the peace of storms as we saw last week, but the good news of Jesus is that he is bringing all things to order, that he is taking chaos and bringing peace to it. Today, we're going to look at a story. We're going to dive into this good news of Jesus by seeing the way that he has power and authority, not just over nature, not just over the physical world, but also the spiritual world. We're going to be taking a look at God's power and authority over Satan, demons, angels, all the things that are unseen in our world. Now, When I say those words, when I say the spiritual world, when I say angels, demons, Satan, all that kind of stuff, there are multiple different reactions in this room. Like people are coming with different perspectives all over this room. Some of you guys are here and uh, you're apathetic kind of to the spiritual world. You hear things about Jesus, Satan, demons, all of this stuff, and you've kind of grown up with flannel graphs and uh, the way that God had worked in the past and stories about demons, and and you're like, okay, I know that ultimately Jesus is going to win in the end, so we don't really have to worry. Um, You're ready to tune out. You're ready to start thinking about the Super Bowl later and how the Chiefs will win, and um, you're just, you're super excited for that, and so you're kind of, you know, out the door already. Some of you uh, are frightened. Like you hear this, and maybe this is your first time here, um, but you hear that we're about to talk about the spiritual world and demons and stuff, and you, you know a lot of like media and movies and, and scary movies, and you're like, I don't really want to talk about this. This is going to frighten me. I, I don't want to be cursed. And so you're already like kind of finding a way out right now. Um, you're wondering why someone brought you to this service for the first time, uh, because you didn't know that you were going to talk about demons and all that kind of stuff. And so you're just kind of like, like freaked out and apprehensive. You don't even want to know anything else about this. You're done. Then there are others of you who are overly interested. Like as soon as we say something about the spiritual, you kind of already are leaning in. You have an interest in the spiritual world. You know that there is more to this world than the physical. um, And you want to do everything that you can to be able to tap into that through tarot card readings, through uh, being able to talk to a, a spiritual entity, to uh, the law of attraction, to all of these things that kind of fill the spiritual world. You want to do everything you can to be able to tap into that so that life can advance you. And you're glad you're here because you're trying to figure out, okay, what can I be able to glean? What can I glean from Jesus' power and authority over the spiritual world so that I can progress farther in life than everybody else around me? What we know about the, uh, the spiritual realm, what we know about uh, Jesus' interaction is that, that there is more than just the world around us in the physical realm. Satan and demons are real. Angels and their fight with them are real. These things are real. And there's a way that we approach this, a posture that we go into this that is important for us to have when we encounter texts and stories about the spiritual realm. C.S. Lewis, in a book uh, titled The Screwtape Letters, in which he takes the perspective of a demon, actually said it in the best way possible. He said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, the human race, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both heirs and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. 
So we are not to go to one side and not be disinterested and run away from this. We are not either to be overly interested. We must then find the middle ground to understand Jesus's authority, power, and our role in the spiritual realm, especially when it comes to our interaction with demons and Satan. So before we jump into this story today, before we start plucking some stuff out and kind of seeing what we can glean from it, I want to kind of take a 50,000 foot view and kind of look at what our stance is on demons and uh, the theology of Satan and demons that kind of surround it. Now, I got a C in systematic theology in seminary. So for me to come in front of you and say, hey, this is everything I know, it's not, I don't know anything. Okay, I only have read the books and that's it. So um, I kind of, uh, kind of brought together uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. It's a big, massive book. His work um, and his chapter on the spiritual world and particularly demons. So literally, you can just go online. You can Google these points that I'm about to make and you can also find corresponding verses that are gonna work with it. I'm just presenting it to you, okay? So um, here are some things that Wayne Grudem says about demons that are important for us to understand as we go into this topic today. Number one, demons are real. They are working and active since the beginning of time. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see it in Genesis chapter three that Satan is interacting. We cannot just walk away from this and not believe that demons aren't real. There is a spiritual realm. They are real. Demons' purpose is to oppose and destroy the work of God. That's their sole purpose, is to go forward and attempt to do anything they can to thwart the plan of God. Uh, The next thing is that demons are limited by God's control and have limited power. This is important for us to understand um, because a lot of times, especially once again, from from media and movies and culture and all these things have been told to us, we can feel as if demons have just this unbelievable amount of authority to the point where it's almost God-like. However, they, they don't have the ability to know the future or know our thoughts. There is one that is that reserved for that, and that is God himself. So we need to understand that they are limited. They are not able to do everything that we think they can do. The next thing is that not all evil and sin is from demonic activity, but some is. And I think this is important for us to understand, especially in the church world, because we hear all the time in the church world like, uh, you know, Satan's just really attacking me right now. You know, I, I, I got a cold and, um, you know, he's just really putting me down right now and I'm just really feeling it. And, and you know, demons are just kind of coming upon my life and just really hurting me. It, it may be, maybe. There is a chance that that is happening. You may also just need a little bit more vitamin C in your diet, right? Like there's sin going on in your life. There's problems that you have. There's things that are going on in your life And that may be attributed to Satan and demons and the temptations they place in front of you. You also may just be disobeying. We intrinsically are sinful people. So we can't blame the fact that our cat got run over by a car on Satan. It may just be that we're bad drivers, right? We need to understand and know that that not all things are attributed to it, but Satan and demons are working and they do tempt us in some ways. Next thing is that Christians can rebuke and remove demonic influence by the power and authority of Christ, but shouldn't be actively searching to. So 
We have the power and authority only by Jesus Christ. We don't have any power or authority to be able to stand up to Satan and demons, but by the power and authority of Jesus Christ, we can do this. However, we aren't ghostbusters, okay? We're not going around to haunted homes trying to figure out like, how can I withdraw this demon? Or we're not going out of our way to do this. This is something that is given to us by the throne room of God himself, not by our own power. It's important for us to understand that or else we're gonna be in a lot of trouble. The last thing is, uh, and this is important because this is actually in the text today, that we should err on using the term demonic oppression or demonic influence instead of demonic possession. See, the best way to be able to phrase this, and I actually was just talking to Pastor Nate about this, and the best way to kind of like frame this up, it's not that the demon possesses us It's that we are possessing the demon and that we are being influenced and opposed. It's not like, you know, some of the scary movies you've seen where all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, this person's taken over and all these crazy things are happening and it just kind of happened out of nowhere and we have no idea how this happened and it's just insane. It is insane, but most of the time, if not every single time, we are the ones that are actively pursuing those dark things to the point where we're being influenced, where we are being opposed. And naturally, the question comes out and says, okay, so then can Christians be demonically possessed? A lot of people will ask that question, kind of freaked out, like, as a Christian, can I be demonically possessed? Wayne Grudem actually has a great quote on it. He says that if demonic possession means that a person will be completely dominated by a demon so that a person has no power left to choose to do right and obey God, no, a person cannot be demon-possessed. So we're gonna see in this story, you're gonna, and you may actually like as I'm reading this, go, Josh, you are so stupid. There, it's literally here in the text. Demonic possession is here in the text. It is in the text here, but I think the better way to look at the terminology or the phrase demonic possession is to better look at it as an influence or an opposition that is constantly coming after us and that we actively will handle. So all of this in mind, Let's go ahead and jump into the text. Luke chapter eight, verse 26. We're gonna go through verse 39. It's gonna be on the screen behind me here. Jesus um, has just calmed the storm. We saw this last week and he's heading over to a region in Galilee. And so what I'm gonna do in this text is actually kind of break down and, and, and stop us at certain portions and kind of pick out some stuff. And then we're gonna land on a main idea and some application that I want you guys to kind of walk away with. But there's so much that's going to happen in this story that we need to unpack that we're gonna to have to kind of take it in bite-sized chunks. So let's look at verse 26. It says this, then they, and this is Jesus and his disciples, sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him and said in a loud voice, what do you have to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into the desert. So think about how weird this scene is. Like this is a very, very strange portion of scripture. Like the disciples, if you put yourself in their seat, they had just gone through this insane storm. Like, Jesus then walks out from taking a nap. He calms the storm. Then he tells him, hey, let's go over this way. 
They're tired. They just went through a bunch. They're still processing so much. They get out, they get on land. They haven't even oriented themselves yet. Like they're still kind of, you know how like when you're, you've been on a boat for a real long time and your legs kind of feel weird, you're kind of swelling back and forth. They're not even there yet where they can like actually process what's happening. They probably need some caffeine. All of a sudden, Gollum is coming out from the tombs and yelling at them. And they're not sure like what is happening here? It's like crazy. They see this man and, and Jesus begins to actually interact with him. And, and I would just be so unbelievably confused by, by what's happening in this moment. But um, we see this man that kind of fits the bill for an extreme case of demonic influence. I'm just gonna run through a few of these right here. We've seen that he's been tormented for a long period of time, that he wore no clothes and he actually kind of lived like an animal. He lived in the tombs of the dead. Like that's where he made his home. He had supernatural strength. In Mark chapter five, another gospel that tells the same story, it says that the man was tormented and he even was self-destructing because he was taking rocks and using them to cut himself. This man was not always like this, but over time was overtaken. Notice the demons that were influencing this man, their number one goal was to strip him of his identity. It was to strip him of his humanity, to make him forget that he was made in the image of God to the point where he was literally like an animal living in the tombs. Now, we may have demonic oppression in our life. There may be things that are influencing you. I don't wanna belittle that in any way, but all of us have sin in our life and sin and the works of demonic oppression in our life work the same way. They have the same goal. It is to strip you and other people of what you are made in the image of, and that is the image of God. It is to make you forget the fact that you are beautifully and wonderfully made and for you to use other people in such a way that you forget that they are beautifully and wonderfully made in the image and character of God. For instance, take, take work. When we have a high amount of ego and a high amount of pride, we can see other people not as made in the image of God, but we see them as just another step in the ladder of success. They're not a person. They're a goal. They're not a, a human being. They're an achievement. We strip them of uh, their image of God and we place our own ego in their place. With lust and pornography, we no longer look at people as human beings. We look at them as an object that we can use for our own satisfaction to the point where we belittle them and forget that they have a soul and we forget that people have a soul and we tarnish our view of even ourselves and other people by the way that we objectify and belittle them. Sin's number one goal is to strip you and other people of your identity in Christ. So there is no wisdom that can be found there. There is no goodness that can be found there. And it's important for us to understand that sin is always going to destroy. We should never flirt around with it. Look at what happens next in verse 30. It says this, uh, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him and they begged him not to banish them in, into the, uh, the abyss. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside and the demons actually begged to permit them to enter the pigs and he gave them permission. So then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. 
Okay, we're gonna put ourselves back in the disciples' footsteps right here. Like, you, you've finally kind of gotten used to it. You're kind of, you know, getting acquainted to what's happening. Jesus is having this interaction. You're probably, you're, you know, your fight or flight is kicking in already. You're probably counting everybody that you have there. You're like, okay, we got 12 here. We can take them, right? So, uh, but Jesus actually then says, no, I'm, I, I got this handled. And he takes, this is not how it happens. This is my own rendition, just so you know. Um, he then takes the demon out of the man and, and sends him into a herd of pigs that are doing absolutely nothing. They're just chilling on the side of the the mountaintop. And those pigs just run over the cliff and fly down. I got questions, right? Like there is, this is weird. This is just a bizarre interaction in story. Like there's so much to unpack here, but um, kind of the first two questions that kind of immediately come to mind in our own context um, would be number one, why does Jesus ask for his name? Like, why doesn't Jesus just immediately come up and just start doing his Jesus thing and send the spirit away somewhere? Like, what, why is he asking for the name? There are multiple different reasons uh, in this story why he would be asking for the name. But the number one reason is the fact that he is attempting to address the demonic presence that is influencing this man's life directly. He wants to deal with, him, uh, deal with the darkness directly, not just with the man. And this is common within uh, exorcists to this day. Back then, it was very common as well. You address the demon, not the man. And so he wants to know uh, particularly why, what this man's been struggling with. And this man, this demon an- ends up answering that his name is Legion and is showing that this man is just so oppressed to the point where multiple demons seem to be teaming up on this guy to the point where he's just enshrouded with darkness. Like he is, there's just so much darkness around this man. There's so many demons. At the time, it would have been considered that 6,000 Roman soldiers would make up a legion. I don't know if he has 6,000 demons, but at least is painting a photo that shows and shares with us that, that he has an insane amount of oppression in this moment. So the second question you may be asking is, why the pigs? Like what did the pigs have to do with any of this to have this happen to them? First, at the time, Jesus didn't have PETA to mess with, so he didn't, didn't have to fear getting canceled. So there's that. There's second, uh, the people at, of the time would understand, and Jesus knew this going in, um, that the people at the time uh, would have understood pigs to be dirty. Like for us, we're thinking what a miss out on bacon, right? Like we're, we're kind of bummed the fact that we're not able to make up some more hot dogs, but they would understand like, no, we don't eat these animals. We don't deal with these animals. They're dirty animals. We kind of push them out to the side. And so it was not really a big deal for them to see the pigs pass away. It's a big deal for the workers. It's a bummer for them that we're watching them. But um, for, for the disciples, it would have been understood. These are dirty animals that are being sent away. But Jesus is attempting more than all of that to show something very, very important about demons and their character that we've already spoken to. It's the fact that even with the dirtiest animal of the lowest of the low in Jewish culture, they are still going to do absolutely everything they can to kill and destroy. Like that's their number one goal. No matter what, no matter what they're impacting and influencing, their goal is to kill and destroy. And uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon, a very famous pastor, had a great quote on this. He said that Satan would rather vex swine than do no mischief at all. He's so fond of evil that he would work it upon animals if he cannot work it upon men. Their number one goal is only to destroy. And so once again, if you would consider yourself a spiritual person, 
that you actually want to kind of tap into uh, demonic influences and, and spirits and try to see what you can glean from them. There is absolutely nothing there. The end is death. That is the only thing they are looking to bring. There's no amount of influence. You will not receive anything else greater. They will promise you a lot, but in the end, ultimately bring death. There's also something else happening here in this section of verses as well. That's very, very important for us to understand. Jesus, throughout all of this, has complete and utter authority over this demon. There's never a moment where the demon's about to get the upper hand. In fact, it literally begins with the demon cowering. And then multiple times it says he begs him to do all these different things. He's asking Jesus to do things to him. He's not saying, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step up and fight you or let's, let's, let's kind of work this thing out. It's no, Jesus walks onto the shore. Authority is immediately established. Jesus is king. Like there's no question about that at all whatsoever. Sometimes though, and this is especially in the Western world, it may be in other parts of the world. I don't really know because I don't really know um, what it's like to live in other parts of the world. But uh, in our world, a lot of times we kind of think of good and evil. And then with God and Satan, there's this kind of dichotomous relationship where we're not really sure what's going to turn out and who's going to win in the end. Like maybe Satan will end up winning, who knows? Uh, and maybe God is, is, is really going to be struggling there. And we, we just have no idea how this is going to end up turning out um, in the end. And I actually saw this, if you don't believe me that I think that we have this, this idea within our culture. Um, I saw this on Facebook. Um, there's a lot of times on Facebook, as you're kind of scrolling through your feed, people, and if, you're, if you've done this before, I love you and I care for you, but um, there's a lot of people that will say like, like and, and share um, or else God won't win and Satan will win and um, comment like, amen, and that will defeat everything that Satan's doing, something like that. Well, once again, if you shared that, if you had a relative that shared that, we love you. If you, your relative shared that, go ahead and lovingly rebuke them uh, for doing something like that. But um, here's the, the photo. Here's a very, like a sample photo that I saw. I actually saw this on my uh, Facebook. This is the photo that I saw. And I'm, I'm like not even joking. First of all, there's a lot to unpack in this story um, or in this picture. Jesus is uh, way too white, just so you know. He's not that Caucasian. He was of Israelite descent. So I just want to address that right away. But um, there's this idea that maybe, like maybe Satan wins out in the end. Like maybe Jesus won't end up winning this one. Who knows? Like if he hasn't been working out enough, we don't know if he's going to win the arm wrestling match. We're, we're kind of confused. Um, and, and maybe like these demons and stuff actually have the power and will to be able to, to conquer him. But that's not the truth. The truth is that Jesus has already won. Satan stands no chance. He is victorious, sitting with the game in hand. And all Satan and demons are doing is trying to whatever they can at a suicidal attempt to thwart anyone and anything that is connected to his cause. But Jesus has won. And we can take heart and hope in that. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to cower. The things of the spiritual realm are very scary and weird and, and creepy, but we don't have to be afraid. We can cling to the victory that Jesus has established. There is no wavering chance right now. The demons literally beg for him to be able to release them. Story continues then after the, the, the pigs end up getting sent down. And in verse 34, it says this, that when the men who attended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and in the countryside. 
Then the people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from sitting at Jesus's feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Uh, meanwhile, the eyewitness reporters uh, were reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. And then all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave them. And they were, they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. So they see the pigs fly off the cliff. The people that are all around them witness this. The people that actually work with the pigs sprint into the city and go share like all this craziness just happened. And I imagine like the people of the city probably think and, and probably know of like urban legend or maybe had seen this man um, that had been kind of milling about in the tombs. They probably know, don't ever mess with him. He's crazy. He's powerful. Don't ever go there. It's like, uh, it's like the Grinch in Whoville, right? Like they know the Grinch is up there. We're never gonna mess with them. I'm bringing Christmas illustrations to not Christmas time. But anyway, uh, they, they, they know that he's there and they don't really wanna deal with it. And so they're probably timidly and cautiously coming to this moment, coming to where the tombs are. And there they see this man and Jesus standing together. And the man's in his right mind. He's sitting at Jesus' feet. He looks like a completely normal person now. He's actually clothed, so he no longer looks like an animal. He's been redeemed and he's been brought to his right mind. And they are afraid. Like they're freaked out. And they're freaked out because they know this man and they see Jesus standing over him. And they're like, if this man who we can never control was healed by this man, he controlled him, then who is this man? right? Like they're freaked out of Jesus because they're like, if he has the power to do this, then no one's going to be able to, to do anything with this guy. And so they start to freak out and they're like, hey, can you please leave? Like they, they, they ask him, they get so freaked out in their mind that they ask him to leave. And I think in some ways we can kind of resonate with this. Like we could maybe stand on our high horse and look at the story and go, I would never ask Jesus to leave. I only want him near me. I, but I, I think a lot of times in our life, we do reject Jesus. We are afraid of what he's going to say about certain things. That despite the fact that he's redeemed a lot of things in other people's lives and maybe even our own life, we still, we push him to the side and we ask him to leave. One commentator said that when we're so afraid of what Jesus will do in our lives um, more than what Satan may do, we often push Jesus away. And that we should be careful because he may leave when he's asked to. If we think about it in dating relationships, a lot of times we don't want God to instruct us on how to interact in that dating relationship and to abide by his rules and his law and the way that he has created and formed that relationship to be. And so we instead push him away and prefer our sin. And we see the repercussions to that. In our workplace, we may push him away so that we can get ahead and we can lie and we can hold ourselves in a greater esteem than we are. or We um, kind of do some minorly unethical things to be able to push ourselves forward. And we push Jesus away in order to hold on to our sin, the works of Satan, so that we can be able to get forward in life. And we're gonna reap the repercussions of that. When we ask Jesus to leave, it's not that he's saying that, saying that he hates you or he doesn't love you anymore, but maybe in loving discipline, he will withdraw himself, but for a moment so that you may see the repercussions to your actions. We should always, always stand in honest, reverent fear of the Lord and invite him into all areas of our life. But in this case, Jesus ends up agreeing. He 
departs, he decides to leave, but he leaves this man with one last thought. And verse 38 says this, the, the man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him, but he sent him away and said, go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. So this man's now dressed in his right mind. All he wants to do is be with Jesus. But Jesus has now been told that he has to leave and he has to go away. And so the man is begging Jesus to be able to stay with him. And Jesus says, no, go into the Gentile region and tell them of everything that, you, that I have done for you. Jesus knows in this moment that this man can reach the Gentile people far greater than his disciples can in this moment. And that story will be told over and over and over again. Two ways that we can know that we have been impacted by the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. Number one, all we wanna do is be near him. All we wanna do is hear more about him. All we wanna do is read about him. We just wanna see his word and the way that he works. And then number two, we go and tell other people about him. We can't stop talking about him. We can't stop sharing about him. We just want other people to know because there's been so much of an impact upon our life that we have to go tell absolutely everyone. We see this man go out and he goes and he shares the good news with everyone in the region and tells them of all the things that God had done for him. And that's the story of this man. All the things that, had, that, that Jesus had done for this man, the story of redemption, the fact that Jesus holds all things in the palm of his hand, that he is in authority over not just the physical world, but over the spiritual world. Now, you and I may not be experiencing demonic influence as vividly as this man. But the works of sin, the works of Satan, are just the same in our life. The idea of sin, the, the actions that we have is to, to lure us in, addict us to what it can offer, ultimately placing shame upon us in which we hide, in which we, we, we go away from other people. And in the end, it ultimately destroys us over time it eats away at our soul. It eats away at our being and it eats away at our relationship with the Lord. We need to stop kidding ourselves. Though we may not physically be uh, experiencing this, we uh, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally resonate with this man and all the things that he has gone through. You're in this room. You're watching online. There's a sin issue in your life that you've been struggling with since you were a kid. You've been isolated to the point where no one knows what you struggle with. You feel like no one understands you or if they did get to know you, they would never, ever accept you. You can't get the negative thoughts and feelings from the internal voice within your head that constantly berates you and tells you that you aren't worthy enough. You know who Jesus is, but your first instinct is not to go towards him, but to run away from him. And outside, we may be pretty, we may be cleaned up, we may be able to have a smile on, and we're kind of hiding behind this veneer of cleaned up Christianity. But internally, there is a legion of darkness, of sin and lust and pride and selfishness and materialism. And we don't know where to go or what to do. And in the middle of our darkness, at our very lowest moment, Jesus steps on the shore comes to us when we're most helpless and he reaches down in grace and mercy to us. So the main idea that I want us to understand from this text that is important for us to know is that Jesus is the only key to, to freedom from your darkness. 
Jesus is the only key to freedom from your darkness. There is no amount of wisdom. There is no amount of spiritual ascent. There is no amount of religiosity. There is no amount of, of, of acceptance. There is no amount of anything in our life that we can do to be able to free ourselves from the captivity of sin in our life. Paul reiterates this in Colossians chapter two. It's just a beautiful statement about God's wisdom and the way that he is the only one to be able to provide it for us. Um, he says this as he's writing to his readers. He says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. But be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and every authority. Jesus is the only key and path to any amount of wisdom, any amount of life, and any amount of freedom. No matter what we think we can gain from the spiritual world around us or any of the things that the world can offer us. He's the key. The issue is, just like this man went looking in the tombs for freedom, so do we search for the key in the midst of tombs. We look for the key to freedom to be able to find us um, some amount of freedom in our life so that we can be able to go forward and, 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 and feel fulfilled. We're looking for freedom in places that hold no power. See, the key is not found in how much you can impress God with your religiosity. The key is not found in draining your sorrows and pain and alcohol. The key is not found in entertainment and in escaping reality through it in video games or TV shows. The key is not found in being more spiritual, tapping into a higher power or a spiritual entity. The key is, found, is not found in the perfect spouse, job, or education. The key is only found in Jesus Christ. That's it. Now, I want to say this kindly and carefully. Because a lot of us, when we see this freedom, we're like, okay, cool. I want to head into that freedom. I can see where the only path to freedom is in Jesus Christ. The reason why we head into that freedom is because we believe that there is perfection that may be able to be found in it. Like we can finally escape the addiction or the behavior that we've been just, just been dominated by for years by being able to place our faith in Jesus Christ. And that may be the case. There are times where God sends pigs over the cliff on our sake. There are other times where we may struggle with something over and over and over again, even when we are saved. The key to freedom is not perfection. The key to freedom is a new identity. That you, despite your sin, are fully loved, fully known, and fully accepted by the King of Kings, by the Lord of Lords, by the one who created you in your womb since the beginning of time has known you. That King, that Lord knows you completely and still loves you. That's the gift. Perfection may not be achieved in this life. It's actually not ever going to be achieved in this life. It, it, it's only for the life to come. 
but you will be given a brand new identity. You will be given a brand new name. You will be dealt with on a personal level by Jesus Christ himself and given new life to the point where you're no longer known by what you did. You're no longer known by the things that you've done. That it doesn't matter what anybody thinks of you because God already has his opinion of you. That he knows, cares, and loves you. Now, the question then is, how do we enter into this? If we want this freedom, we want to be able to have the key, what's the next step? Jesus approaches this man, I think, um, very importantly, once again, he's approaching this man to deal with the darkness within him. But it's interesting because in this moment, as Jesus approaches this man and asks him this question, this man is also confessing. This man is revealing internally the darkness that is within his heart, the things that he has done. He is revealing to Jesus the darkness within him and allowing Jesus to fully see who he is. In the same way, for us to be able to be fully known, loved, and accepted by God, we must present ourselves and confess the things that are going on in our heart, our minds, and our life. Things that we've kind of stored away in secret so that other people won't be able to see it. So my next step for you is that you would, be, uh, that you would confess and for you to know this week that the first step to being fully known is to let God fully know your heart. If you aren't a follower of Jesus and you're watching online or you're here in the room and you wanna know more about what it means to place your life in Jesus Christ, like you're done with all the things of this world, you want to know true freedom. Like you want to be liberated from the darkness that you've been uh, involved in. All you must do, according to Romans 10, nine, is just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And be saved. If you've been dabbling in spiritual things, if you've been involved in spiritual things, like you know that there's a spiritual world and you want to be able to glean some sort of wisdom, look no further. Jesus is the point of wisdom. There is nothing outside of him that you need. Welcome to new life. Know and confess the fact that you have been looking for things outside of him and that he is the one that ultimately holds power. If you've been following Jesus, you've been walking with him for a long period of time and sin and other things, habits and behaviors have crept in to the point where you don't know what to do with yourself anymore. You, you feel like you're a failure. You feel lost. You feel like your relationship with him is dried out. You don't know where to go or what to do. All you know to do is just to kind of hide behind some sort of mask of Christianity. the grace that was given to this man in this story is still available for you. It's just the same yesterday as it was today. Step forward and confess the things that are going on. Jesus knows and loves you. You have been accepted by the king. You do not need to continue to live in this sin. As we wrap up this morning, we're gonna sing one last song um, but I wanna, I wanna leave you with one last kind of parting thought. The interesting part of this whole entire story um, is actually more than just the fact that this man is demonically uh, oppressed and then that's removed from him. I think that's a really awesome part of the story. But one thing that can get lost in all of this is the fact that Jesus in this story is for the very first time going out of his way on his path to Jerusalem. He's going out of his way to a Gentile region 
in which he is ultimately asked to leave and no longer going that way. This is the only time in the gospels in which Jesus is going to this Gentile region doing this. And he's only there for but a moment. All he does is save one person. He's, it, it seemed just kind of like a blip on the radar. He just went through a storm to be able to get here. Like he just had to interact with the demon to be able to free one man. But the beautiful thing that we can take away from this is that in the same way, Jesus, in the midst of our storm, in the midst of all the people in the earth, in the midst of the entire universe, comes through down to your experience in the midst of everything that you're going to at your lowest moment in your darkest place. And he finds you and he knows you. He knows you by name. He knows the things that are going on inside your heart. He's not shocked or surprised by any of it. He has come to give you new life. He is standing on the shore, ready to liberate you. Will you step forward today? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this story, for all the things that we can take away from it. Lord, I I pray that we are able to see that we can find new life in you, that you are the only key to freedom in the midst of our darkness. And I pray for anyone in this room that is just wrestling with oppressive sin, influence that they feel like they can't get rid of or they can't shake. Lord, I pray you that today, this very day, you liberate them from that darkness. You bring them out of darkness and into light, that you help them to confess and step forward into new life in you so that they may be known for the very first time in their life, or they may be known again if they're a Christian. Lord, help us to remember this this week. In your name we pray. Amen.